Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deannon, they, them pronouns, and I'm the designated hype person here at MCP. I am joined today by computer science teacher, Mrs. Tamika Gaither-Banks. Welcome, Mika. Hi. It's so exciting to be in this space with you, and thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Before we get started, what is bringing you joy currently? My husband brings me joy. I'm so sweet and he loves me. That is the sweetest thing ever. It's such a great way to hear when we give like shout outs to our partners. So thank you so much for that. I do love seeing love. Uh, huge fan of that. Okay. So Amika, tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you started your MCP journey. So I've been with Baltimore City Public Schools for 12 years now. For the last six years, I've been teaching computer science as a certified vocational teacher. And this year is my first year implementing MCP. I spent, like I did the the mentorship prior, I think it it ended in May. So I had, I didn't want to take it where it extended into the summer because I didn't want to spend my summer in classes. But I did spend my summer making videos. So I've gotten, I'm not even, I'm up to like lesson 19 for the high school kids. And they're in lesson like seven. So I'm ahead of the game. Um, A lot of my students, when I had high school for first semester, and a lot of those students were repeat students because they had previously failed the course. Because in high school, my class is a graduation requirement. Oh, it's a requirement. So they they would have to take it, uh, how many times would they have to take it in high school, just once? Yeah, they just take it once because it's the one technology credit for their diploma. But if they fail it, they have to take it. I've had students on my roster three times already. Oh, wow. Okay. So they can like take it as much as they need to if they don't pass it the first time. Right. Because they can't, they can't graduate until they pass it. So if they fail it this year, they'll put it when they're scheduled for next year. Um, actually last year, I even had some doing, um, an after school credit recovery class. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's pretty cool though, that it's, um, that's, that's pretty cool that it's kind of, it's, it's mandated for students to, to go through, uh, computer science is definitely, uh, it's like a whole new language that I don't even know anything about. And I don't know if I'm, I think I'm scared of computer science. Uh, <laughs> I just also am so impressed with everyone who can do anything that is computer science related. And so, Mika, question though, when when you when you're talking about MCP, how did you find out about MCP? I got an email. Um, I don't know who the email was from. I mean, I guess it was from MCP because it it wasn't from Baltimore City. It was just an email inviting me to um, be a part of the the next cohort. 
I know one person, one other person that's doing it, and I met her through a Facebook group. So I don't technically even know her. I don't, I know she teaches elementary school and this is her first year doing it, but I don't know anybody that could have referred me to get this email, but I was happy to get it because I read about flipped classrooms. I just didn't know how to implement a, a flipped classroom, but I, I thought the video aspect of it was a good idea. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned that you spent a lot of your time in the summer creating videos. Like what was, what took you the longest to do when it came to creating videos? Cause I know sometimes we have teachers, we have educators who are like, ah, no, I don't want to because of the videos, but were you utilizing, were you creating videos prior to doing our mentorship program, Mika? No, but, um, because I teach computer science, I was using Google classroom every day. So that aspect of being able to assign the students or assign just one lesson to one student out the entire class, like all of that I was familiar with. So to me, because um like I used to I used to make videos when I worked for a nonprofit and they wanted not videos, I made slideshows for um computer science when I worked for a nonprofit. So just the act of having something that someone else can come along and read. So I would make the slideshows and the teachers would teach from the slideshows that I made. And all I did was read the book to make the slideshow. Got it. Got it. So I figured figured making the videos wouldn't be any harder than that. Yeah. And what was the... um... What was the the tool that you used to create the videos? I started using um, Zoom, and then I went through um, purchasing Camtasia. Remember, you had got me Camtasia, but um, I was only I was only maybe able to make about ten videos with Camtasia before it crashed, and it wouldn't work on my MacBook or my PC laptop. So I ended up having to um, get it refunded. But ever since then, I've just been using Zoom and recording it through Zoom. Oh, I love that so much because I think sometimes uh, people forget about Zoom. It's kind of like you already know how to work Zoom. So why don't you just go ahead and record the Zoom video and then use that? I, I also really like the simplicity of Zoom as well, Mika, and I've definitely used it to to record some of my videos too. So, um, well, thank you for like letting me ask all those follow-up questions about your process. And so, you know, one thing that I noticed is that you teach grades six through 12 computer science. So in my head, I was like, oh my goodness, what, how does that even look? Uh, how many students do you have? So like walk us through your weekly schedule. What does that look like for you? How often do you see your kids? Um, and how do you manage your time just so that you're not doing too much and that you're also resting? So um, first semester, I had two sections of high school, grades nine through 12. And I also had seventh grade and eighth grade. But um, the high school kids only have me first semester. So right now they added on um, for second semester, they added on sixth grade. So I have six, seven, and eight. But the curriculum for seven, 
and nine are the same. And then um, six and eight are different. But when I put, I started eight in unit three and they just couldn't do the work. So I asked about a different unit. So they told me to teach eighth grade, sixth grade curriculum. But that seemed too easy. So I ended up switching eighth grade to seventh grade. So right now, seventh and eighth grade are doing the same part of the curriculum, um, making websites. And um, sixth grade is making video games. Well, they're in the beginning stages to making video games. Okay. And I know listeners like Mika and I were talking about this too, but uh, Mika teaches at a school where it's all boys. Yes. Uh, so that in itself is really, really exciting and very different. Um, and so how many students do you have in each class? And Mika, is it more like once they take it in seventh grade, they don't need to take it in eighth grade anymore? Or is it every year they take your class? For middle school, it's sixth, seventh, and eighth. And then in high school, once you start with the um, credits, it's just one credit. So you just have to take it the one time. And sometimes it's scheduled as a semester class and sometimes it's scheduled as a whole year, but it's still only one high school credit. Got it. Got it. Okay. 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 So that makes, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so you really get to hang out and just get to know your middle school kids. And then once they get to high school, you just see them that one semester, unless they don't pass the class and then you'll see them more often. Right. This first semester, um, when I had the high school class, almost all of the students were repeaters. And the ones who were repeaters actually went through MCP with no problems. Like every morning I would go over the um, progress tracker and tell them this is the lesson you should be working on. If they say, no, I'm on lesson 10 and I said they're on nine. And I said, oh, you must have did it after class. Let me check it. I grade it right then and there and then send them to the math check before they go on to the next lesson. But they were pretty good with looking at the progress chart to see who else has already mastered that particular lesson and asking each other for help. So high school was a breeze. <laughs> they didn't mind watching the videos they like being able to go on their own pace. Now, middle school is another story. Like, they talk too much. <laughs> they they want to talk a lot and they don't want to watch the videos. And it's like, when they have questions, the first question I ask them instead of answering their question is to ask them, did you watch the video? Because the rule is, watch the video, ask your classmate for help, and then come to me. And a lot of times they just have not watched the video because the should do's are in the videos. I give them two must do's. Some lessons might have more than two must do's, but for the most part, each lesson has should do's, two must do's. One is a classwork, one is an assessment, and then an aspire to do. So the first, the classwork must do, the video walks them through the entire level for the classwork must do. But the assessment, um, the video only explains what you have to do. It does not walk you through it. So they have to do the assessment must do on their own. 
But if they watched all the videos up until, it shouldn't be a problem. It's just they don't want to watch the videos. And I try to keep the videos around three minutes. Every once in a while, I might have a video that's 20 minutes, but it's 20 minutes on just this one small section. It's just takes a lot longer to explain. Mm. So with those, like, with the the 20 minutes, because I know, like, as an adult, there's no way I'm going to watch a 20-minute video. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, we have TikTok, we have all of the things that we're competing with. And so for the 20 minutes, is it uh, what, so what have you heard from students when you have a three-minute video versus a 20-minute video? Is it basically the same kind of comments that you get, Mika? Well, um, I've actually never heard anybody complain about the length of the videos. They're basically complaining because they have to watch the videos. They just want you to give them the answer. They don't want to use the critical thinking skills to complete the assignment. And it's like, no, watch the videos. I didn't spend my summer making videos. I spent my summer making videos while you was outside playing. I spent my summer making videos. There's no way you're not going to watch these videos. Yeah. And I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think I've heard that time and time again, too, from educators of like uh, our students just like not watching the videos, right? Not watching the videos. And so there's been a couple of ideas that have come up on in our Facebook group as well of different ways to engage and motivate students to watch the videos because our videos, um, Again, you know, we're competing with TikTok. We're competing with like very short, very, very short and precise videos. And so really, I feel like we also kind of have to step up our game. And there's also a lot of learned helplessness, right, Mika? Like the kids, the students all know that like if you pester an educator enough, they'll just give you the answer. And so kids are so used to that. Trying to shift it away from that mindset into one of accountability and responsibility is it's really challenging, especially for, for middle schoolers, too. So um, thank you for sharing for sharing all of that. And so it seems like your high school students are really embracing this, being able to move along however they need to, being able to learn by themselves, be really direct, uh, self-directed learners, right, which, which is really exciting. And... Um, and this is your, you said this is your first time implement or first year implementing MCP, which is really exciting. How did you determine, did you just like jump in the, did you just jump in, jump right in and just implemented all three pillars? Or did you say like, oh, I'm going to start off with like mastery checks? Um, yes. At first I wasn't going to do sixth grade because I didn't have videos for them. But um, when my schedule changed for the second semester, I had less classes per day, so that gives me time in my planning periods because um, it's a five-class schedule, but I only have two classes. And so because I only teach two classes a day, I have all those extra planning hours to use to make the videos. So I no longer make videos at home. Um, when the school year started and I had high school and I wanted to make sure I was ahead of them, I would um, make videos on Saturday mornings from 10 to 1. But when the semester changed and I realized I could make videos at work, then I just make sure I make my videos at work. Like I have a sixth grader. He's on my heels. He's on like lesson 11. And I just, 
I just recorded lesson 13. So it's just like, I need, <laughs> I need to stop. I don't know, stop lollygagging and make sure I get these videos because he right behind me. Oh, I, I love that. That's always it. They also hold us accountable to which I absolutely love about this model, right? It's kind of like a um, holding each other accountable, not just the, the learners, but also the educators. And so you kind of just uh, alluded to this already, Mika. So what is, you know, share with us one to two wins and challenges when implementing a self-paced learning structure, especially when you're implementing it in multiple grades. Well, um, with the high school students, the ones who were taking it for a second time, they did better with the self-paced method. Um, they usually, because they knew they needed the class to graduate, they knew this was their second time in the class. So they knew that they didn't want to take it again for a third time. So they made sure they came in and they watched their videos. I didn't have to remind them. I didn't have to stop. Like the high school kids, I didn't have behavior issues. Like, I mean, I even had one little boy that would talk to his little girlfriend on the phone the whole, like the whole class period. But he somehow was getting his work done and it didn't distract the kids around him because they were actually with the headphones. I used Donald's shoes and I got headphones and laptops. So people had their headphones on and they were just watching videos and getting their work done. And if they needed help, they would look at the progress tracker on the board to see who else already did that lesson and go ask them for help. I have like a checkoff list that I use when I make my videos that makes sure I have an objective. I have um, the warm up, the slides, and I list the must do's there. And then I have a column for recording, flash drive, upload to Google Classroom. Because once I upload them to Google Classroom, then I make a link into the HyperDoc. So the HyperDoc has several links. It has the link for the do now. And it do now, it has three parts. Um, page one is SEL, asking them how they're doing. Is anything they want to tell me? Part two talks about what lesson are you on? Are you before, ahead, behind, or on pace? Um, what's the objective for today? Meaning the actual lesson objective, not some objective they made up. So um, then they had to also tell me how they plan to work today. Were they going to just work by themselves or they're going to work with um, a partner or are they going to sit with the teacher? And then in the third part of the do now, it asks them, did they meet their goal? Do they want to meet with the teacher the next time we come to class? And I would just read them. And if they said they wanted to meet with the teacher, I made sure I have a daily planning sheet where I write down what lessons that they're working on for that day. And I write down who said they want to meet with me the next class period and make sure I sit with them. I love that. Did it, did it take you a, a multiple reiter, like multiple iterations of your process, Mika? Like, did you try it one time and you're like, oh, this is the process for me and this works for me? Or did you have to try it multiple times to figure out what your flow looks like? Um, no, because the the documents that I got from my mentor through the cohort 
and um, documents I saw people posting on the Facebook group. I just kind of pulled things from that and put them together to make my do now. Because my do now has the same exact questions every day. The only thing they need to do is change the date and then answer the question for that day about that lesson. So I don't have to, um, once I set that in place, I don't have to do the do now, do a different do now every day. And then um, the curriculum itself comes with a do now. And I just use that as a should do as part of their warm up. So they don't, they can do it. They probably don't do it. I don't even check it. <laughs> but um, I pretty much, the only thing that I started to do later on that I didn't do at first was to write down the videos that I recorded. So um, it will tell you what lesson you're on. And these are the videos because my lessons are numbers. So it could be lesson three, but it could be lesson 3.2 is a should do, but 3.5 is a must do. So in the worksheet, in the hyperdoc that they get, the should do is listed by that 3.2, 3.6 or what have you. And um, that is new from from the beginning. I, I didn't start with that. But um, for the most part, everything I use now, I've been using like from the beginning. And it's just from the documents that were given to me through the mentorship and stuff I saw people share in the Facebook group. I read the Facebook group like it's news. Um, Mika, this is really great. I, I love the fact that you are just using all the resources that are provided for you and then like implementing it. And then it's just so fortunate that it like works for you and your students. So that's, that's really, really dope. Um, I do have like one follow-up question to Mika, but before we do that, because I also want to talk about the Facebook group, let's take a quick break. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the Facebook group and Mika's journey in our modern classroom implementation. Hey there, listeners. This is Zach dropping in with some announcements for learning experiences for this upcoming week of March 3rd, 2024. First, are you ready to take your student-centered classroom to the next level? Let's dive into the magic of Nearpod in our upcoming webinar. You can join us on March 5th, that's Tuesday, at 6 p.m. Eastern. Next, your videos are your students' learning materials and their lifelines during their progression through a skill. But what if you could give students an opportunity to check for comprehension and ask questions while watching the videos? In this session, you'll learn how to use AI to supercharge your instructional content. Join us on Wednesday, March 6th at 6 p.m. Eastern. More info and registration links for both of these events are in the show notes, so take a look there if you are interested. All right. We're back with Mika. So my follow-up question for you, Mika, is you're talking about the progress tracker. And right now you speak of it really positively and highly and your students are utilizing it. How did you roll it out with your with your students? A lot of the times our educators are saying progress trackers aren't going to work. You know, my kids are just going to end up joking each other um, and making each other feel bad. Right. And so what how did you how did you roll this out to your kids, to your students? Well, I use 
the progress tracker came from MCP. I didn't make it up. And it has the various tabs on the bottom. I don't use, I don't display all of the tabs. I use the one where I can update it. And then I show the one that tells you what lesson you're on. It and it tells you, it lists um, master, revise, or now based on whatever lesson you're on. It shows which lesson is on pace. So that's the um, student facing tracker that I use um, on the, on the lesson document, I do have a column for them to insert a due date and then insert a date where they actually finished the project. Um, I've, I've yet to see anybody use that in that manner. But um, when I post the assignments to Google Classroom, there is a due date. So that due date, they can write on their HyperDoc to have that as a reference to when it's due. But um, the tracker, it worked best with the high school students because they really would just look to see. I would just keep it up there the entire class period. And they would just look to see who's done what and then move their seat to go sit with someone who, who can help them. Because I would always refer them back. Did you watch the video? Because the, the sequence is... If you have a question, you watch the video again, or then you ask somebody who's already mastered, and then you can come ask me. So the tracker helps. Yeah, and I think it's definitely all about like messaging too, right? Like if a teacher, if you are the educator and you wholeheartedly believe in the tracker as a positive thing, as a positive reinforcement, then your kids will definitely feel the same way, right? I know with me, I worked with middle school and it never dawned on me that it would be, that it would cause a problem. And so, because the way I rolled it out with my kids is, hey, this is just a way for us to all know where we're at so that we can help each other and be in community with each other. And so, and when I heard students cackle in the beginning or like make fun of others because they were behind or whatever, like I quickly addressed it and it wasn't anything that like, oh, I didn't, you know, I heard it, but I'm not going to address it. But I addressed it quickly. And I said, no, that's not what we're doing with that. Um, and then again, explain like why the progress tracker is important. Uh, so, okay, well, thank you for sharing that. So you've mentioned the Facebook group and you say you read fa the Facebook group like it's news, which I think is hilarious, Mika, because I also do that. And it makes me miss being in the classroom so much because people have such, some really great ideas. And so you posted about getting observed using the MCP model. And I know that you had questions about whether you want to use the model during your observation or you want to go back to your traditional um, uh, way of teaching teaching and our community came in and was like, no, you got to do modern classrooms <laughs> um, and really see how that goes for you. And and you updated saying that you scored mostly threes and fours. So I'm sure listeners are curious about how that went for you. Um, and so with that being said, what does threes and fours mean in Baltimore City, right? Because I, I used to teach in Baltimore City, so I'm curious if it's still the same. And, and just like tell us what the reaction was from your school leadership when they did come and observe you. So when I asked the question to the group, should I do the traditional teach or MCP? Almost everybody said, go with the plan. I had one guy commented, said, um, do traditional because the, um, rubric for the, for the, um, 
observation is based on traditional teaching. But I had so many people just say do MCP and I really didn't want to do traditional because <laughs> I really don't like it. <laughs> so I really was like, okay, this is what I'll do because I had it scheduled. So I knew what class period they were coming in. Um, right now I'm waiting for my unannounced observation and I've already talked to one student in each class period and said, look, if she comes in here doing to do the observation while your class is here, you're going to do this X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you're going to have to walk her through what you do, show her the, the document, show her the do now, show her the should do's, must do's, all of that. Show her everything that you do on a daily basis. So she can understand what we do. And when I had my observation, I had a student. He was <laughs> afterwards, he was like, oh, my goodness, I had to work the whole entire class period. I was so tired <laughs> because he's one. He was one of the students that worked that was always ahead of pace. So he would get ahead and then stop for a day or two and just do nothing. Because he was so far ahead of everyone else. So when I had him um, talk to the observer, the assistant principal, he was just like, <laughs> he said he was the next day. He said he was just so tired of working all the way through with no break because she was watching him and taking notes. And so threes mean um, effective and fours are highly effective. The only thing I could remember getting a three on is the part about asking them questions. So because um, because I'm not interacting with them so much that I didn't have I don't have a chance to ask as many thought provoking questions as she would have liked to see. And um, like I did pull a student over to my desk. And uh, she felt like I wasn't using the vocabulary that she expected me to to use. Um, I, I guess she was just saying that I wasn't using enough industry language with the student. But I don't really think she know what that is because she didn't teach computer science. <laughs> I think she was an English teacher. I guess maybe she was just going by. She knew all the words that I was saying. <laughs> and maybe I just didn't ask hard enough questions. I did think about going through the lessons and writing down questions that I could use for specific lessons, but I forgot all about that. <laughs> it never got around to doing it. Um, right now, my school is focusing on vocabulary and sentence starters. So I don't do a lot of, it's not a lot of vocabulary comes with the curriculum. So um, what I did do is I found one um, vocabulary strategy to use and I already have it placed in Google Classroom for it's already set up to be used. I just would have to explain it the day I want them to use it. So when I get this un unannounced observation, I'm going to have that vocabulary piece to use, implement that real quick, and then have them move on to watching the videos like they normally do.
Yeah, I remember also like trying to maneuver and manipulate and navigate like classroom observations. And so I I really appreciate you just being so real about that too, Mika, because that that is the case, right? And so when you were thinking when you were talking about uh, having a student um, explain the process, because I think to me as a school leader, like I would love it if a student could tell me what's going on. Because that, that for me, I think that really shows like, oh, they know exactly what they're learning about and how to get about like what they need to to learn. Right. And so I, I love this idea that you had a greeter and you had a person to describe it, especially I think you said that you're the only one who's implementing the model in your in your school. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of um, questions, I'm sure. And, and you know, when you were talking about like, oh, I didn't ask enough questions in my head, I was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if the students asked all the questions instead of us? Because I feel like sometimes educators ask too many questions and not really allowing for our students to engage in asking those questions as well. So, um, but yeah, those are just my thoughts. And so the assistant principal came in so impressed. Your your student was so tired because their brain <laughs> was on overdrive, just working, which I thought was pretty cute. Uh, what did your what was your uh, assistant principal's reaction after having this conversation with the student and seeing how it worked in your in your class? She was impressed. She really the only thing she had something to say was about the thought provoking questions I didn't ask. But she liked the whole setup so much that she talked to the principal about it. And they had me do a PD for about 10 minutes at a faculty meeting. So I talked to the other Tony. Yes, yes, yes. Our partnership manager. Yep. He sent me a, um, a PowerPoint that I could use. And I was able to adapt it to have pictures and um, screenshots of my worksheets that I use in it. And it also, he also, um, in the, in the, um, PowerPoint, there was a QR code to join the cohort. That's probably happening in March, maybe the one that's coming up. I don't remember the dates. So I don't know if anybody signed up for it, but I did email the Q. I emailed the PowerPoint out so they could review it again since I only had 10 minutes to go over it. So that was really, really fast. Um, but nobody um, came to talk to me about it later on. So I don't know if anybody has signed up to do it. I did mention the, the stipend. And so I really did get it like three weeks later, two weeks, something like that. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? Like, no, no worries. If anything, that's still really cool that you were able to showcase what you were doing in your class. Cause I know sometimes, um, I know that I loved it when my, my principal would highlight some of the things that I would do in the classroom and be able to share it out with staff. So if anything, there's that, that awareness, right? That people could come and watch you in action or that you are doing this, this new instructional or newish instructional model of creating a more student centered uh, classroom. And so that, that's really, really dope. So regardless of whether they sign up or not, I think it's, it's still thank you for doing the work and thank you for spreading, spreading the news about modern classrooms. I had a first year teacher come and tell me um, like last Friday that he, 
I was assigned for him to come watch my class. And I'm sitting here like, huh? <laughs> I didn't know I was on that level for somebody, to, for you to send somebody into my classroom to watch how I do it. So um, I'm excited to have him in because I'm going to show him all the stuff we do with Modern Classroom and hopefully he'll want to join. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think that's like something really common that happens too with our educators who are implementing the model is that, you know, school leadership is really, really impressed and, and, and amazed by it that they like, Hey, do this and do that and show this and show that. So it's kind of like elevating our teachers to be even more leaders in their communities um, than they already are. And so that that's really, really dope for for me to hear that. Um, and so hopefully you'll have a thought partner in your school to just kind of figure out like good practices and strategies that have worked for you before. And so Mika, what is a tip that you have for someone starting out or someone who has the same class structure as you, you know, nine through 12, six through eight. Um, and also, like you said, you know, you're working with a first year teacher. What, what would be your tip? Um, don't worry about mistakes in your videos because it shows that you're human. Um, I know I had videos with my dog in the office with me and, um, um, like, like I, I had a student watch the video once and he was like, Hey, did you ever get so-and-so? And I'm sitting there like, huh? Yeah. In the video you said, and I was like, Oh, I didn't know you was watching the video. I really did not know that particular student. I didn't know he was watching the videos because he failed. He was so behind pace, but he watched a particular video and, and followed up about something I missed in the video. Oh, that's awesome. But um, don't worry about the mistakes in your videos and um, just keep making the videos. Like they get easier as you go along and Make yourself a checklist so you can make all the lessons uniform because my my lesson document, my hyperdoc, they they all look the same. So there's no way you don't if you don't know how to find your work, it's because you don't want to do it because it's in the same place every day and each sheet looks the same way. Each sheet has a code.org link that takes you to the particular lesson I want you to do. Each one has a folder of videos and the videos are named by the lesson. So if it's lesson 3.12, the video says 3.12. So it's no excuse that you can't find your work. If you can't find your work, it's because you wasn't listening from day one because that's when I explained it. Yep. Yep. So consistency, transparency, um, and not worrying about mistakes. Perfection is like the worst enemy out there. So uh, thank you for that reminder too, Mika. What do you hope to see in the future and what goals do you have moving forward? I think I would like to become a mentor. I didn't join the cohort that is happening probably around now. Um, just as so many other things that I have going on outside of school. So I didn't um, want to join now, but probably by the beginning of next school year, I may be looking into becoming a mentor. Oh, we would love you there, Mika. That would be so dope if you could join us um, and be a mentor for us. Okay, so uh, last question. How can our listeners connect with you? My Facebook name is T-A-M-I-C-A 
space Gaither hyphen banks G-A-I-T-H-E-R hyphen banks B-A-N-K-S. Beautiful. And y'all listeners, if you are not in the Facebook group, I think we're like reaching 18,000 educators there now. And so if you join that Facebook group and you search for Mika's name, you'll see all of her posts and then you can message her or, you know, just get in contact with her as well. So thank you so much, uh, Mika, for doing the whole, the Facebook group is great. You should join. I appreciate you saying that because it, our community is just so, so, so rad and just resourceful and all of the above. So again, like, thank you so much, Mika, for being here in this space with me. And so listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 179. You'll have this episode, we'll have this episode's transcript uploaded by Friday. So be sure to check back to access those. Also, we are asking our listeners to leave a review if this podcast has been helpful in supporting you to create a human-centered learning environment through blended, self-paced and mastery-based model. It does help other folks find it. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.